worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. We sing, we make a miracle work, promise deeper light in the darkness, my God. Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Excellent. Glad to have you with us. Good morning to you all. If you're a guest with us, glad that you're here today. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you worshiping the Lord with us here today. Uh, If you are a guest, we would love to connect with you. Best, easiest way you can do that right now is to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen. 910-424-1298, just text CONNECT and just uh, answer a couple of quick questions so we can know who you are and how we can minister to you. But for everyone here, we have big three announcements we want everyone to know. Just the big three things that we want you to know what's going on this week here at Southview, how you can stay plugged in and involved. One is this, baptism. 
Uh, October 24th, we're going to have a baptism. And if you're interested in being a part of that, you've believed by faith in Christ, and you're ready to step forward in believer's baptism, we need you to let us know that this week. All right? If at all possible, this week, um, you can text BAPTISM to our number, 910-424-1298, to sign up for that. And we'll be in touch with you about what the next uh, step is for you. But if you're interested in baptism, be sure to text BAPTISM to our number so we can get you signed up and ready for that. Second, Thanksgiving food drive. So as you leave this door to your left, we have a table set up. Uh, you can go by there, grab a sheet of paper. It's going to show you everything that you need to buy for the Thanksgiving food baskets. Every year at Thanksgiving, we give uh, needy families in our area a food basket, and you can help us do that by going and filling that out. We need those turned back in by this coming Sunday, October 10th, okay? So grab a sheet of paper, fill it out, bring it back in this coming Sunday, October 10th, so we can make sure that that gets sent out where it needs to go. And last of all, Halloween. So Halloween, October 31st, we are doing a Halloween outreach, and we do it a little bit differently. Uh, instead of doing a, an on-site sort of fall festival, we instead ask you to open up your home and basically do a little mini outreach in your own neighborhood. And here's the reason why we do that. So this is a map of Cumberland County. I pull this out ever so often. Down here is a little dot. That is going to be our church. And everywhere you see a pin is the household of the members of Southview Baptist Church. All right? So, here's the thing. Why would we try to get as many people as possible to show up to this little dot down here? When, if everyone engages, we have the possibility of touching people all over the county. Are you tracking with that? But here's why this is important. Here's where you come in. If we do a, fall, a typical fall festival, here's how that usually works for churches. Let me know if this has been your church experience. About 10 or 15 people work their fingers to the bone to pull off a fall festival. And then the whole church gets to go, wow, look what we did. And the dozen people over here are going, I don't know what you mean by we. right? But doing it this way, here's the thing. If we do it like this. We have the opportunity of reaching thousands of people spread all over our community. However, here's the catch. The only way we're able to do that is if you open up your home and let us use it. A dozen people can't do this. Two or three houses can't do this. The only way we reach our community is if people in this room say, I'll do that in my neighborhood. I'll open up. We'll, we'll do it. Families are going to come by and knock on our door anyway. Let's do it. We'll give you the resources. We'll give you the candy. We'll give you the stuff. We'll help you with some training to know what to do and how to do it and all those sorts of things. But the only way this really works is if we as a church say, yeah, I'll do that. So if you're interested in using your pen to be an impact place for the gospel... I want you to text the word Halloween to 910-424-1298. Text Halloween to that number, and then we'll be in touch with you about how we can get you the things that you need and provide some training and equipping for you in doing that. But step one is this. I need a whole lot of people in this room right now to grab their phones and text that word. Apart from that, this doesn't work. All right, It's just a good idea that flies away. But 
if we all seek to engage, we're able to see a powerful thing happen for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, text Halloween to sign up for that. Uh, because, again, I believe this is going to be an opportunity for us to see a great thing happen for the kingdom of God right here where we live. For all of our other announcements, you can download our church app, uh, iTunes or Google Play. Uh, you'll be able to download the app. The app's going to show you uh, journey groups to be part of, any other events we have coming up, how to sign up for events, all those sorts of things. Also, you can give on through the, online through the app. You can either give through the app or at our giving boxes as you leave, whichever works best for you. Uh, but you can uh, do that. And, and, and in light of that, I want to read a scripture to you. Uh, when we think about giving and think about worship as we're about to step into worship together, I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter, nine, uh, chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The idea is that you became a follower of Christ because Jesus emptied himself of all that was rightly due him as God. Even though he was perfectly, eternally rich, he emptied himself of all of that, giving all of that, becoming poor to the point of death on the cross so that we can become rich in Christ through fellowship and union with God. And, and as you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the context there is, is giving, financial giving. And the point is, if you've been in church for long, um, we try to, churches try to motivate their people to give in several ways, right? Some try to motivate you through a budget, right? Oh, this is the budget. This is what we got to do. So you got to give. Some try to motivate you through a need. We need this, so you got to give. Some try to motivate you through vision. If we have a big enough, strong enough, bold enough vision, then people are going to give. All of those are unbiblical and wrong and ultimately fall apart and don't work. The reason Marie and I give financially to this church and other ministries and other people and other things is because we are convinced of how much Jesus Christ gave us. And because we have been changed by the great giver, Jesus Christ, we now want to give. And so for you, if giving is a struggle for you, my question for you is going to be, have you really been engaged? Have you really been touched? Have you been impacted by the great giver, Jesus Christ? That's what we want to do in our worship service. We want to show you Jesus, who he is, how glorious and amazing and beautiful he is, so that you're drawn to him, changed by him, and your life is impacted by who he is in you. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. I want to pray for us as we, as we worship together. You know, Jesus, as we think about who you are, as we think about what you've done in us, for us, through us, I thank you, Jesus. I pray, God, for every one of us in this room. I ask you, Jesus, that you would today let us see who you are. Let us be impacted by who you are. And God, whatever it is in your life that you're calling us, in our life that you're calling us to, I pray, God, it will be driven by the reality that you have done the work in us already through the cross. We are givers because you gave so much. So I pray, God, that you would allow us, empower us to, to see you more and more and more as the great and glorious giver. And as a result of that, we're going to be impacted to give. Thank you, Jesus.
today in our worship. Let us see you, Jesus, for who you are. Let us be changed by who you are. Let us walk out of this place forever different because of you and the work you've done in us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. I want to invite you to stand. Let us extol the name of Christ together. Let us lift up and magnify the Lord today as we sing and we celebrate who he is and he is glorified. Let's sing together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ.
Isn't that amazing, church? That Christ has cleared all things out of the way for us, for those that believe under the headship of Christ. We say this all the time, that you have been made new. You have been made proclaimed holy and righteous. That the God of the universe, the God that created all of heaven and earth, stepped down into time and paid the price for all of our sins so that all that would believe would be cleansed. That's amazing. That the holiest of holies would walk with the darkest of sinners because it was his good pleasure, not because we deserved it, not because we wanted it, but because he commanded it. And so my prayer for us right here today is that as we sing, as we extol the virtues of Christ, that we are free to come here and pray, that we are free to stand and sing or kneel and reflect, that we're not bound by time in a service, but we're bound by the spirit of the holy God. So I pray that as we sing these things, they ring true in our hearts and we proclaim him as holy, holy, holy. Let's sing. Every lifted voice, every lifted voice. 
Majesty before my eyes. Let it take my breath away. A million angels fall face down on the floor. All to echo holy is the take just a second as we come off the hills of such an amazing such an amazing song proclaiming the glory and holiness of God let's let's take just a second and come off the hills of that and spend some time praying together um, as as we pray I do have a couple of things I want you to kind of have in your minds praying for a couple of families in our church in need of our prayers um, one, uh, you may be familiar if you're part of our church, uh, Roy Chasen. Roy's been a long-time leader in our congregation. Roy went on to be with the Lord, and his service is going to be today here at 3 o'clock. And so if you're available, I encourage you to come and be a part of that here at 3. Uh, but let's continue, to obviously, to pray for his family, for Teresa and the girls um, as, they're, as they're walking through this season. Uh, also... Uh, Gwen York, member of our congregation, passed away this week as well. And as we become aware of arrangements, what's, uh, what that's going to look like, we'll be sure to pass that on to you. Um, but I want to share just a, a real quick story about Gwen. I think leads us into where I want us to go prayer-wise. So we were there in the hospital, um, there with her family, and we're, we're gathered around Gwen and and. As we're just there sort of talking and praying, uh, they say, um, well, you know, Gwen York, that's, that's not her real name. I said, well, what do you mean? That's, that's not her name. Gwen's not her, that's not her real name. Like, well, what's her name? Like, if I've been, like, immediately I'm sort of thinking, like, have I been calling her the wrong name this whole time? Like, you ever had this? Then no, no, back, you know, gosh, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, you know, just 
God began working in her life. Things were going on. Things were happening. She began to experience a shift. Things were changing in her life. Things were going in a different direction. Um, she was um, pursuing the Lord and giving her life to Christ. And this idea that the old is gone and dead and a new thing has come, she took that literally. And she went and changed her name. She said, that old person doesn't exist anymore. They're gone. In Christ, they're buried. And they don't exist. A brand new creation has been born. And so she thought, it's a great opportunity to name myself what I wanted to name me. Mom did a bad job anyway. And so Gwen York was born. And as I thought about that this week, I think the lesson there is so significant for us. We, we lose sight of the miraculous thing that happens in salvation. When you believe by faith in Jesus Christ, the old you dies. Like the Bible says, it's buried, it's dead. And a brand new you is risen through faith in Christ. A brand new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 will tell us. Um, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation on you. Satan traffics in condemnation and guilt, all right? Um, we were talking about this in our journey group this past week. Satan cannot stop you from being forgiven by God. So, what he tries to do is stop you from experiencing the joy that comes from being forgiven by God. He can't stop you from being forgiven, but he tries to heap condemnation and condemnation and condemnation and condemnation on you so that even though you're forgiven, you can't walk in the joy of that forgiveness. You're always still stuck in focusing on your sin and feeling bad for what you did and who you used to be, and I can't be good enough now. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no, no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It's all been taken up by Christ on the cross. So which is why in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus says, he begins the Lord's Prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're holy, you're special, you're separate, you're other. I worship you and you alone. When we see what God has done in us through Christ, it drives us to worship him. So set our hearts, brothers and sisters, on who you are in Christ, on what Christ has done to make you who you are, to set you free, to take away all your guilt and condemnation, to make you new in Jesus Christ, a brand new creation. So let's bow our heads this morning, and I want to give you a moment to pray. And as we think about worshiping our Father who's in heaven, holy, other, the only one worthy of being revered and worshipped. Let's set our heart, brothers and sisters, on what God has done. And as you see what God has done, you are driven to that worship of Him. Take just a minute and thank God for setting you free from condemnation 
through Jesus and Jesus alone. We just thank you. We worship you. We revere you. We, we lift you up. Because you have done what only you can do. You have sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place. So that we can be set free from condemnation and guilt. We can be set free from our sin. The punishment and wrath of that sin. We can be set free from all of that. And be made new. Thank you, Jesus, for making us new. I ask you, Lord, here in this room, in this place right now, that you would fill us with worship and praise for who you are and what you've done in us. Thank you, God. Thank you. We set our heart on you. We set our eyes on you. We set our mind on you. We love you, God. Thank you. You are, are amazing. We love you. Thank you, God for who you are and what you have done in us that only you can do. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, let's find Galatians chapter 2 together, all right? Galatians 2, we're going to start in verse 11 as we're walking through the book of Galatians together. And I want to start off with this. You ready? Every person in this room, every single person with breath in your lungs, me, you, every one of us, we are all hypocrites. Every last one of us. The word hypocrite comes from the theater, from acting. It means pretending to be someone that you're, or something that you're not. We are, in some way, shape, or form, every one of us, to varying degrees or levels or whatever, every one of us talks a better game than we walk. Every single one of us has something in our life we know is not supposed to be there, but it's still there. We all are, on some level, a hypocrite. I talk to people who are non-Christians, and they say, oh, uh, church is just full of hypocrites. And to that I say, I know. You should join us. I think you'd fit right in. <laughs> right? It's Everybody. The question for us today is not going to be, are you a hypocrite? Am I a hypocrite? That's not going to be the question. We're not going to, I'm going to start off with the assumption that we are. Okay? The question that we're going to address today is, what do we do about that? How do we handle the hypocrisy, the inconsistency, the stuff in our lives that's still there and God is desiring to remove from us? What do we do about that? How do we handle that? So there are some wrong ways that people try to handle hypocrisy in their life, all right? I'll give you three. One, oftentimes when people are faced with their hypocrisy, they despair, right? They go, I'm so bad, I'm so horrible, I'll never get this fixed, I know God's disappointed with me, I know he's so mad at me, I can't, right? They just despair. Others defend Immediately, you, this little defense attorney in your mind jumps up and starts pounding the table. 
right? No, no, no. You don't understand. My situation's different. If you were in my shoes, you're no one to judge me. How dare you pull that out? At least I don't do what that guy does, right? We, we, we defend. We deflect. Or, for some of us, when we're met with the hypocrisy in our lives, we try to double down. Like, you know what? You're right, and I'm going to be better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to be more involved in church, I'm going to do more quiet time, I'm going to do, I'm going to, yes, I'm going I'm to, I see it, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to get better, right? We're met with hypocrisy, and we either despair, we defend, or we double down. What I'm going to, to, to hopefully, by God's grace, help us see today is none of those things work. None of it works. None of it makes you better. None of it actually fixes the hypocrisy. It actually just takes you deeper into the quicksand of the hypocrisy. What we're going to see today is, very simply, the gospel is good news for hypocrites. The goal for today is not to beat up on hypocrites and talk bad about hypocrites and talk about how the fact that you shouldn't be a hypocrite. The whole point of today is to provide hope and good news for hypocrites like us. If you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, I'm such a hypocrite, I don't need to be in this place. If people knew, you are in, a, you're in the right place today. Because the goal is not to beat you up. The goal is not to point you out. The goal is to provide good news, hope for hypocrites like us. So, the answer for our hypocrisy is the gospel. So let's start, like we've been doing, explaining what that is. So everyone repeat after me. We're doing this every week as we walk through the Galatians. We're just getting on the same page. Just a very simple, basic, when we say the gospel, here's what we're talking about, all right? So the gospel is right standing with God that was bought by Jesus on the cross and is enjoyed only by faith in his work. Anything added to the gospel ruins it. And you miss Jesus. So today we're going to see how the fact that Jesus has made you 100% right with God through faith in Jesus is good news for our hypocrisy. And how we're going to see this is by looking at one of the weirdest passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. What we're going to see today is one apostle, the apostle Paul, calling out another apostle, apostle Peter, in front of everybody. Right, just totally calls them out. But in the process of that, we're going to see a little bit about hypocrisy, where it comes from, and how the gospel seeks to set us free from it. All right, so let's jump in together. Galatians 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas, that's Peter. It's another name for Peter. So when you see Cephas in this passage, talking about Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So in Antioch, it was believed it was about 50-50 Jew and Gentile. All right, So Christianity started out in, in, in Jewish roots. And Antioch was the first real place where a church sprung up where it was Jew and Gentile together. It's about 50-50. And in this, sort of the way that they showed the height of their togetherness was by sharing a meal. Now, for us, this does not make sense. It does not compute. All right? Because for us, we eat most of our meals while driving in a car to the next location. 
But for them in a Near Eastern culture, sharing a mealtime was an experience. Right? It was hours long. It was a big deal. And inviting someone to share a meal with you, you were embracing them. You were accepting them. You, you were saying they were a part of you, a part of your family. And, and, and so you were bringing them in, right? This is why in the Gospels, Jesus gets hammered for eating with tax collectors and sinners, right? You see that in there. You know, he even eats with tax collectors and sinners. He eats with these people. Why is that a big deal? Because in eating with them, he's welcoming them. He's, accept, he's looking past this junk that's in their life and accepting them as an actual person created in the image of God. And this freaked everybody out. So that's what's going on here in Antioch. Jews and Gentiles sharing a meal together, accepting one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter shows up in Antioch and jumps right in the middle of it, right? He's eating with Jews and eating with Gentiles and bringing everybody together. All is great and good until we see in verse 12, certain men came from James. Now, James is the brother of Jesus, Jesus' little brother. Um, he is at this point probably the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the mother church. And it says that certain men came from James. We don't necessarily know that if they were actually sent by James or just showed up out of the church and said, hey, James sent us. But nonetheless, they showed up. And when they showed up, Peter started changing. It says there that he drew back and separated himself. So it's really interesting. That word, that phrase drew back means to, to sort of sneakily and slowly withdraw yourself. To separate means to kind of boundary off yourself from other people. So here's what's happening. Peter did not stand up and say, I have an announcement. It is wrong for Jews and Gentiles to eat together. I cannot be a part of it. They are breaking the Old Testament law, God's law. I can't be a part. That's not what he did. He did it sneaky, right? So like when Jewish people would call him and say, hey, can you come over and do dinner? He's like, absolutely, I'll be right over. When Gentiles call and said, hey, can you come over and do dinner? He's like, what? Oh, I'm, I'm booked. Oh, I, I hate that. So shoot me a text next week. We'll see if we can get a good time together. Right? But he, he kept saying yes to the Jews and no to the Gentiles over and over and over and over and over. So eventually it became clear he had separated himself off and was no longer eating with Gentiles and just eating with Jews. And it says why he did that. And, 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 and it's, a, it's significant also to see why this is such a big deal and why it's so hypocritical. If there's one person in the world who should have known this was not good would be Peter because in Acts chapter 10, Peter's the guy that Jesus came and gave a direct vision to. Like Jesus came down from heaven and said to Peter, Peter, chill with all the eating stuff, man. It's okay. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. Don't call people unclean that I've called clean. Bring them together. We're together. I'm shutting all these divisions down. And then Peter went off and led the first Gentiles to Jesus, Cornelius, and his family. So if there's one person who should have seen and known this is okay, it's Peter. When these guys from James showed up and said, you can't be doing this, Peter should have said, hey, listen, Jesus told me directly this was all right, so you're going to need to talk with him. Right? This is kind of above my pay grade. You're going to need to go chat with him. But he didn't do that. He drew away secretly and sneakily and separated himself. And it says why he did it. The last part of verse 12, look at that. He did it fearing the circumcision party. He did it because he was afraid. He was afraid of what they were going to think. He was afraid of what they were going to go back and say. 
fear is a massive motivator for hypocrisy, all right? In 1 Samuel 15, King Saul disobeyed God because he was afraid of public opinion. In Judges 16, Samson gave in to Delilah because he was afraid of losing her sexual attention. Peter, at the crucifixion of Jesus, denied Christ. Why? He was afraid that he would end up in the same fate. Fear is a massive motivator. Is there, are you afraid of something that's causing you to not live out the fullness of who you are in Christ? You're afraid of what someone's going to say, what they're going to do, what they're going to think. You're afraid of a circumstance, a situation. You're afraid God's going to tell you to do something you do not want to do. Fear drives hypocrisy. And look how far it goes. Look down to verse 13. Here's what happened as a result of Peter's hypocrisy. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is contagious. Right? All the Jews, even Barnabas was led astray. Now that's interesting. Barnabas isn't even his real name, right? So kind of like a Gwen thing. His real name is Joseph. All right? His real name is Joseph, but his nickname is Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Literally, here's what's going on. This guy is so welcoming, so kind, so gracious, so loving, so merciful, such a unifier, someone who reaches out to such an extreme degree. They literally nicknamed him encouragement. When the apostle Paul was radioactive and no one wanted to be near him, Barnabas was the guy that came up, put his arm around him and said, I'm a, it's all right, brother, I love you, let's walk together, right? This is Barnabas. He is, he's so encouraging, they literally just call him encouragement. And even that guy walked away. Hypocrisy is contagious. But the flip is also true. If you're around people who are hypocritical, there's a strong likelihood you're going to walk more into hypocrisy. Bad company corrupts good character. But the opposite is also true. Right? We need people around us who know and love Jesus so that we can be stirred up to better know and love Jesus. Right? I mean, thank God Peter had Paul in his life. It would have been much worse if there was no Paul and Peter just kept walking through his hypocrisy, leading other people to hypocrisy and splitting the church. Thank God there's a Paul that looked at him and said, I think you got an issue here, man. We need one another. This is why I tell you almost every week, your involvement with this church has to be more than in this room. It has to be. We have to be engaged with one another's lives so we can stir up and nurture in one another a greater love and affection of Jesus and encourage and push and point one another to walk in greater life in Christ. We need this. And it's going to be imperfect, okay? It's going to be imperfect. One of my favorite definitions of church community is one imperfect person joining themselves with other imperfect people to form imperfect community all for the glory of a perfect God. Right? It's going to be imperfect and people aren't going to always be there like they should. And someone's going to say something stupid. It's going to happen. But that imperfect community, that imperfect walking together is what we need to empower us by God's grace to live out the fullness of what God has given us. It matters. Hypocrisy is contagious, but so is righteousness. So, as we see this, as we see Peter and his hypocrisy and he's leading other people astray. Here's the question that I want to tackle. How should we respond? 
And you see that in verse 14. I want to dive down into verse 14 for a little bit. What's the response to hypocrisy? Look at verse 14. But when I saw their conduct, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's what Paul does. Paul rebukes Peter and says basically, man, look, you stopped living according to these rules a long time ago. So why in the world are you now making these Gentile Christians walk in rules that you can't consistently follow, right? So you're, you're being a hypocrite. But I want you to focus more specifically at the beginning of verse 14. This is the most important little section for us. It defines what is happening here. Look at verse 14 again. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... That is significant. This is what defines it. Hypocrisy is living out of step with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is this. That by faith in Christ, you are new. The old you is dead. A brand new you has been born, has been recreated. You are different. You are you, you are. Filled and empowered with the Spirit of God, you are now righteous, you are now holy, you are now redeemed, you are now forgiven. That is the reality of who you are. This is your identity, this is the truth, this is without any thought, question, or hesitation, the reality of your life by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the truth of the gospel. And hypocrisy happens when we walk out of step with that. Is that making sense? This is who you are. This is your reality. We walk out of step with that. Galatians is going to tell us over and over again that sin in the Christian's life is not just a bad thing that you're doing. Sin is walking out of step with the reality of who you actually are. Right? So, the reason Christians should not lust it's not just because God says don't do it. It's because by faith in Christ, you're no longer a lustful man. You're a righteous man. Jesus Christ has made you righteous. That is your identity now. That is who you are, and you're walking out of step with that. The reason Christians should not gossip and be divided is not because God said don't gossip and be divided. It's because in Christ you've been made one with God, therefore you've been made one with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and so you're living out of step with the reality of who you are. This is who you are. You're not living in step with that. The reason Christians should not be unforgiving and bitter is not just because God said don't be unforgiving and bitter. It's because in Christ, you have had the forgiveness of God poured into you. And as a result now, you are filled with forgiveness. And your identity is someone who lives out of that forgiveness. You're living out of step with the reality of who you are. The whole point of all of this, the whole point of going through the Galatians, the whole point of Christianity is Jesus Christ has made you new walk in the reality of who you are so how do we do that what does that look like for us i'm going to give you two things right two things to kind of put some handles on this number one is this the gospel 
of Jesus Christ allows us to be honest about our sin. So the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ allows us to be honest about our sin and, and, and what we're truly walking in. Uh, Matthew 6.25 says, agree with your accuser quickly. Uh, what causes us to lose the battle of hypocrisy is the need we have in us to defend ourselves and redouble our efforts. To say, no, 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 that's not who I am. Or no, 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 I don't want to admit that. Or I can't let anybody know that about me. Right? To hide, to defend, to redouble, to try to fix ourselves. No. Agree with your accuser quickly. So here's what that means. When Satan comes at you and accuses you of a sin, accuses you of something, you know what you need to do? Agree with him and then run to Jesus. So you want to have a quiet time. So you're set. Tomorrow morning you're going to get up, you're going to have your quiet time, you're excited about it, you're set, you're ready to rock and roll, you know what you're going to do, you got your plan, everything is ready. That alarm goes off, snooze. And it goes off again nine minutes later, snooze. Goes off again, snooze. Next thing you know, you look over all drowsy, drowsy, and you look over at the clock and you realize, oh no, I got to get up and get ready for work. So you get up and you run out the door and you're gone. As you're driving to work, Satan starts accusing you. You're so lazy. You're so, you, you don't love God enough to get up 30 minutes early? What is your problem? I mean, everybody else does that what's your deal? And instead of trying to, again, in your own efforts, push back in, okay, 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 okay. tomorrow I'm going to try, but I'm going to set up three alarms in different parts of the room. And so I have to physically get out of bed and go turn it off. And then I'm going to set up another one that's going to go off three minutes after that. So if I get back in the bed, i got to get back up again. you get this whole scheme in your mind. Instead, we, we, we agree with the accuser and we run to Jesus. We say, you know what? You're right, I was lazy. I wanted to spend time with Jesus, but when the alarm went off, today I wanted to sleep more. That's just the truth. That's what I wanted to do. But Jesus, I thank you that that doesn't change anything about you. You still love me. You still accept me. You still forgive me. Jesus, I ask you, empower me to live out this. I want to spend time with you. Jesus, help me do that. Or... When he, Satan comes and accuses you about your quick temper with your family, right? Satan comes and accuses you and says, oh, you are such a hypocrite. People at that church think you're the nice mom. They think you're the fun dad. They only knew. They only knew. That is not who you are. Instead of defending, of well, well, I mean, I wouldn't lose my temper so much if my husband didn't work so many hours and leave me here with these kids all day long. I wouldn't lose my temper so much if my wife wouldn't force me to be the only disciplinarian in the house. I wouldn't lose my temper if my kids weren't demons. <laughs> if that was different, this wouldn't be an issue. No, no. we agree with our accuser and we run to Jesus. You know what? You're right. You're right. I am nice to everybody out there, and I come home, and I lose my junk over the simplest things. I do. But Jesus, I thank you that that doesn't change anything with me and you. I thank you that you love me, you accept me, you forgive me. Jesus, empower me to walk out who I am in Christ, the patience that you've given me. 
Empower me, Jesus. Being honest about your sin, the gospel allows you to finally just say, yes, it's true. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, the human heart has tried to hide and defend and deflect when it comes to sin. Adam and Eve, right, they eat the fruit. And what do they do? God shows up like, hey, where are you guys at? They're hiding behind bushes like God can't see you. Right? They're playing hide-and-go-seek like a two-year-old. If I close my eyes, you can't see me. And then he finally gets them and brings them out. And what do they start doing? Pointing fingers, right? Adam's like, you know that woman that you gave me? I mean, I'm not pointing fingers, but. And then he asked Eve. Eve was like, no, it's not me. It's a little serpent thing. What are they doing? They're immediately hiding, defending, deflecting, accusing, pointing blame. That still wells up in our hearts. But the gospel sets you free from that. The gospel says God already knows how bad you are even more than you know how bad you are. And he sent his son to set you free from that, to forgive you, to make you new, to redeem you. And nothing you can do can mess that up. John 10 says no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, not even you. And so it frees you to be honest. Frees you to say yes. Yes, that's a struggle for me, I do that. Jesus, I confess. Then that brings us to the second thing. As we're honest about our sin... The gospel frees us to focus on our true identity, not our fake hypocrisy. Here's what I mean by that. What sets you free from your sin is not focusing on your sin, but focusing on Christ and all that he's done to set you free from your sin. Right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, in essence, as we look to Jesus and behold his glory, we're going to be transformed more and more and more into his image. What we do is we focus on the sin instead of our Savior. And as we focus on the sin, we just keep set on the sin. Right? The Bible says that you're dead to sin. Don't focus on that and you focus on Christ, your Savior. Uh, so if you're in banking, one of the things that they do for tellers or if you're in retail, that sort of thing, and you have to handle money and potential of counterfeits, what do they do? Do they teach you what a counterfeit looks like? No. They can't possibly teach you what all the counterfeits look like. The, the, the counterfeiters are too good. They're always changing. What do they do? They get you to memorize the real thing. And as you memorize the real thing, you know it. You know how it feels. You know the weight. You know what it looks like. I mean, it's, it, you have it down pat to the point where if a counterfeit ever comes along, you may not be able to know what's wrong with it, you may not be able to find out exactly what's going on, but you know the real thing so well, you go, something's not right about that. Right? that that's, that's all. The point is you're looking to the real thing, and as you're looking to the real thing, it allows you to cast off the junk. Same with us in Christ. As you look to Christ, as you look to Him, you're able to finally be fulfilled to walk in the fullness of all that he has for you. Focusing on sin and the fact that God tells you not to do something doesn't help you. Knowing that you shouldn't lust doesn't help you not lust. Knowing that you shouldn't worry doesn't help you not worry. Knowing that you shouldn't gossip or, or be bitter doesn't help you not gossip or be bitter. It just further entrenches you to the fact that you're doing it. 
what, the, what Galatians is going to tell us consistently is the commands of God are not there to set you free. They're there to show you what you need to be set free from. So think about this morning. You woke up this morning, and you stumbled into the bathroom, and you looked into the mirror. What's the point of your mirror? You, know, you look in the mirror, and you go, "Woo! I got some work to do today. Right, the point of the mirror is to show you what needs to be fixed. You don't, now listen to me, no one this morning looked in the mirror and saw that their hair needed to be combed, and then you immediately ripped the mirror off the wall and started doing this. Right? No one did that. Why? The mirror exists to show you what needs to be changed, not be the instrument that changes it. The commands of God are there to show you what needs to be changed in you, not to empower you to actually change. This is why we're so neck deep in the quicksand of our hypocrisy. We see the hypocrisy, we see that we need it out of our lives, but we just focus on that sin and how we can stop sinning. That doesn't save you from anything. You need Jesus. This is the point. We are hypocrites. We have inconsistencies. There's junk and sin in our lives that we need to be set free from. But only Jesus can do that. You can't. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets you free. Because the gospel is true, you're free to be honest with God about your sin. Because the gospel is true, you get to look at your identity in Christ, not the sin I'm going to ask our band to come up. And, and as you're coming up, I want to, I, I heard such an interesting thing this week. So in, in psychology and the social sciences, there's something called unintentional avoidance. Uh, the idea behind it is you can be so fixated on something, so fixated on a thing that you unintentionally avoid other things that are obviously right there in front of your face. Make sense? So the way that they showed this was what's called the gorilla test. They'd sit someone down in front of a television screen. It was a basketball game. They're, they're watching. A team in red and a team in blue. They would say, all right, here's what I want you to do. Watch this basketball game, and I want you to count how many times the red team passes the ball to one another. That's all I want you to focus on. That's all I want you to do. How many times does the red team pass the ball to one another? All right. So they're sitting there, and they're locked in, right? One, two, three. All right, and they go through the whole thing, turn it off. All right. How many times? 22. Perfect. You nailed it. Absolutely. That was great. Also, did you see the dancing gorilla? And they said, what are you talking about? The dancing gorilla. Did you see the dancing gorilla? No, there was no dancing gorilla. Yes, there was. And they would rewind the tape. And in the middle of the game, a guy in a gorilla suit runs out onto the court and starts dancing, you know, robot style. And then runs off again. How did I miss that? Because they were so locked in on this thing, even though their eyes physically saw, right? I mean, the, the vision went into their eyes and and. and and relayed up to their brain, but they were so locked in on this thing, their brain filtered out that like it didn't even exist. The idea behind it is you can be so locked in on something that you unintentionally don't even see 
this other thing glaring right in front of you. So here's what that means for us. You ready? You can be so locked in on your sin and your inconsistency and your hypocrisy and the things in you that need to be changed that you unintentionally miss Jesus Christ who is standing there and the only one who can actually set you free from it. The issue here with Peter was that he was walking out of step with the truth of the gospel. All right, So this is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is I am walking out of step with the truth of the gospel. So that means the answer for hypocrisy is to line back up with the truth of the gospel. So how do we do that? Well, we say, Jesus, all right, I lusted. I, I thought something I shouldn't thought. I, I watched something I shouldn't watch. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. But it's not just, I did that thing and I shouldn't do it. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. And the answer is, Jesus, I thank you that in Christ I am no longer a lustful man. I am a righteous man. I am a holy man. I am a pure man. That is my identity. That is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgive me for walking out of step in that and sinning. But I thank you, Jesus, that that doesn't change who I am in you. And I ask you, Jesus, that you would empower me to walk in step with who you've made me to be. Again, worry. Jesus, I thank you that in Christ I am not a worrier. In Christ, I am not an anxious person. In Christ, I have the peace of God that passes all understanding. I thank you, Jesus, that you have given me that in Christ. Forgive me for walking out of step in that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that doesn't change anything with me and you. Empower me to walk in the reality of who I am. Unforgiveness. Jesus, I thank you that in Christ, in you, through the cross, I am a forgiving person. I am a gracious person. Because you have poured your grace and forgiveness into me, I now have something to give. Forgive me for walking out of step with that. That is not who I am. That is not my identity. Empower me, Jesus, to walk in the fullness of who you created me to be. The answer for our hypocrisy is that we see it, we recognize it, and we ask Jesus to empower us to walk in the fullness of who he's made us. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And for you, if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ, you can't change you. You can't fix you. You can't do anything about that. The answer for you is that you need a new identity. You need a new life. You need the old you to die and a brand new you to be born again. And only faith in Jesus Christ is going to do that. Today, trust by faith in Jesus Christ. He came, he died, and he rose again to take away your old life, to take away your sins, to take away the condemnation, to take away the guilt, and make you new. Today, say, Jesus Christ Thank you for dying and rising again. Thank you for making me new. I ask you, Jesus, do that in my heart today. Make me new. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, 
today, set your heart on Jesus, who Jesus is, what he has done in you, through you, for you. Are we hypocrites? Are there things in us that are inconsistent? Yes. But the answer for that is not to defend or despair or deflect, double down. It's to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I thank you. This is in me. I confess that it's in me. I don't want it in me. Jesus, I know that you made me new. I ask you that you empower me to walk in the fullness of who you made me to be. I need you, Jesus, do this in me. And he will. Thank you, Jesus, for your life. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for for making us new. And I pray, Lord, as we worship here, that you would draw us with a greater hope in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's spend a little time worshiping. This altar is open. You can come down and pray. Grab someone to pray with you, whatever you'd like. Let's take some time setting our hearts on Christ, who he is, and his new life in us.
Jesus, we thank you that you are the reason for all of this. You're the reason that we sing, the reason that we stand, the reason that we can walk free from sin and inconsistency and hypocrisy in our lives. I thank you, Jesus, for that. I pray, Jesus, we turn to you and not ourselves. Do this great work in us, Lord. Thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before you leave, real quick, one more uh, uh, housekeeping announcement. Don't forget, we're rekeying the church this week. So if you have a position that requires a key, you can come by the church this week to pick one up. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great week.